On this episode, we examine what happens when the combined might of Dan from Night Court and Jim from Taxi take on James T. Kirk and his valiant crew. Star Trek gets metaphysical in an odd number sequel, so if you watch it, I hope pain is something that you enjoy. I'm Captain Awesome. I'm the Tribble Hippie. And welcome aboard. Find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on this bridge. Today we'll be discussing Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, also known as William Shatner Steals Spaceships and Nobody Cares. <laughs> again and again. <laughs> Seriously, why is he not in prison? <sighs> so Star Trek Three: This was released in the summer, June first, in nineteen eighty-four. I think this is the first uh, movie I ever drove drove a car to. Actually, oh wow. Yeah, I saw this in in uh, Fairbanks. Drove my uh, up. I think this is this is probably the very first one. Wow, that's a red letter day. <laughs> uh, I was pretty excited to see this one. Uh, I, I really liked the last one a lot. Uh, once I was able to sleep again, um, my brother was three months old at the time. So of course, my mom was real happy that we were going to go see a movie uh, without her, <laughs> and she was stuck with him. Um, <laughs> But this is one that, that I was like, we got to go see it. We got to go see it, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Here's one of the things about this movie. I always have kind of the, the image of Nemo going, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll come back if you let me direct one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, this is, Nemo is absolutely setting the groundwork. He is the very first of the... Uh, the, the Star Trek alumni to actually get to direct a movie. So that's a huge accomplishment. And we'll um, start to set off a huge tradition. Right? Everybody gets to do it after that. Yeah. And if Nimoy can do it, I can do it. <laughs> um, no, I thought that was a really cool transition, though. I mean, the, the fact that he actually got a chance to, to direct and to really kind of show what he, he had in mind. And it turned out he's actually not a bad director. Uh, he got some great performances out of people. And quite honestly, I think some of the performances he got out of his old friends were, were actually better than some of the stuff that... Um, uh, Nicholas, Nicholas Meyer in Nicholas, the previous one. Thank you. Um, and the thing is, is that I, I think it probably has more to do with the fact that he could just kind of let them roll and he knew what, it was gonna, what he was going to get out of that. Yeah, and the, you, have to, you have to appreciate that would be an extremely difficult situation to... Uh, have people you've been working with that long and all of a sudden you're the boss. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. So there's some cool stuff about this movie. Um, I, I went kind of on a deep dive on some fun facts. I thought there was yes, some, yes. some really fun things about this one. Um, this is the one where we get our good buddies, Christopher Lloyd and uh, um, John Larroquette. John Larroquette. Right. I, I, <laughs> you know what? I got to be honest. As we were prepping for this and you mentioned that John Larroquette was in it, I totally forgot. I, I was watching the movie. I was totally sucked into it. And honestly, I was watching Christopher Lloyd so carefully that I was like, I, I went back afterwards. And I'm like, oh my God, that was John Larroquette. I didn't even <laughs> notice. So weird thing. Christopher Lloyd was actually the second choice for this. Uh, apparently Jim from Taxi was not someone they were looking to play the king of, the Klingon. <laughs> Uh, the first choice was Edward James Olmos, which I think That's would have made right. a very different movie. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a much more grim Captain Krug, I think. 
It's true. I mean, if, if Battlestar taught us anything, Grim is really what we get out of him. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Christopher Lloyd is, uh, he's, he's coming off a taxi. He has not quite made it to Back to the Future yet. Uh, but after watching this movie, it's clear that Doc Brown is patterned off of. <laughs> <laughs> so a number of people made uh, made uh, comment that Jim from Taxi was a Star Trek fan um, in the show. Mm-hmm. And they had asked him at one point if he had liked the new Star Trek movie. And he said he didn't. And they asked him why. He said, because the Klingons weren't realistic. And they asked him what he meant. He's like, well, a, a Klingon wouldn't say that. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to go from that and jump into something. Cause uh, this is, this is the movie where they did decide to actually create a Klingon language. Yes. They they wanted to actually make a language that you could really translate so that they could use it for continuity. Um, Apparently the linguist that they brought in to do that had to constantly change his dictionary because actors such as Christopher Lloyd could not pronounce their lines. <laughs> Incidentally, Christopher Lloyd also could not come con- conceive of the concept of the communicators. So they they kept awesome. having to yell at him because he, <laughs> like if he wanted to be beamed up to the ship, he would shout to the sky. <laughs> bring me up and they're like no 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 you need to talk to the little box in your hand and he just couldn't get that he's awesome (laughs) oh my god uh incidentally spock was uh there was lots of secrets about this you know obviously the search for spock nobody knows what's going to happen there yeah Uh, so there was lots of secrets about the script uh not least of which was that spock was not uh mentioned they referred to him as naklov which is Vulcan spelled backwards. <laughs> so <'Cause>, tricky. <laughs> um, my favorite thing though, about this, about Nimoy not being mentioned is um, he had two roles in the movie. He was Spock and he was also the voice of the computer on earth. Oh, that's right. Um, and they were trying to keep things so secretive that whenever he was supposed to be on screen or his voice was supposed to be in the movie, he was credited as Frank force. <laughs> So I'm just trying to trying to assume that Frank Force isn't a acting name that Leonard Nimoy had to use in the very dry years of his acting career. Let's just say, seriously, like I kind of want to go search <laughs> in the the early or late fifties, early sixties, and see if I can find you know Frank Force as Cowboy Number Three. <laughs> All right, I was very sad. Kirstie Alley's not in this one. She was so, never in another Star Trek. So there's lots of rumors around this. Um, maybe she wanted too much money. Um, wh- okay, so the official stance for years has been she wanted too much money, and so she wasn't able to come back on the cast. Um, the interesting thing is that a couple years ago, it started surfacing that apparently she was actually a huge fan of working on the movies and desperately wanted to do another one. And her agent asked for too much money and then relayed the message to her that Paramount didn't want her back when the movie came out the rumor was that christy alley was offered the part talked to leonard nimoy about doing it and leonard nimoy told her i wouldn't um, basically telling her that uh this will i mean this will basically end your career if you do this um 
you know, you will always be this character. So that's was that for Star Trek two or Star Trek three? Uh, Star Trek three. Oh wow! So he he was like, you know, you already did it once, you can get away with that, but do it a second time, and you're yeah. gonna be typecast. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, he's not and- wrong. <laughs> Um, incidentally, uh, our, our good buddy Savick was actually supposed to be the one who was killed. Um, I mean, we'll get to it later, but Kirk's son dies. Uh, spoiler alert. Sorry. Everybody. <laughs> um, uh, originally Savick was the one who was supposed to die. Um, but, um, they wanted to show that he was going to be punished for all of his experimentation and for all the bad stuff he did. I did want to bring up about that scene too, the introduction of one of my favorite characters of the entire star trek universe the klingon dagger oh my god that's the first time that sucker makes an appearance and it's so cool one of the odd things about this movie is that design wise aesthetic wise Mm -hmm. this movie is going to set the tone for star trek for a long long time um the klingon dagger the bird of prey the oberth class ship the excelsior all those things are going to be featured in this movie for the first time and are going to expand the star trek universe quite a bit all right so our movie opens and I'm thinking to to appease his lead actor, Leonard Nimoy, tells his lead actor, you know what? We're going to start, start off with a monologue. It's just going to be you, Jim. It's just going to you be you, Bill. It's just going to be you. Okay. And, and okay. So while he's doing this, he's walking around looking at the bridge. The Enterprise feels like a house with all the children gone, which I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Captains don't think that the the people on their crew are their children they don't (laughs) i've known too many people in military command they don't think that (laughs) um my one of my favorite things as a fellow engineer i have to say i was really proud when he called down to talk to scotty and scotty's like oh yeah you know that'll take like four hours something like that and he's like really is that how long it's going to take he's like well i'm going to tell you something different so that i've got enough time to get it done fantastic Scotty's always been a liar. He will always be a liar and it's for the right purpose. And I love it because every engineer is the exact same way. <laughs> Manage expectations. Absolutely. So we talk about that. Then we go and we flash over to a scene of some traders who are flying through the middle of nowhere. And they, they uh, meet up with a cloaked Klingon vessel on board the trader ship. They've got, a female Klingon. It's the first time that we see a female Klingon, I think. Um, actually, uh, modern Klingon. Uh, we did see yes. uh, in Day of the Dove. Um, that's right. That's right. Now, what's interesting about this woman is she is played by Kathy Sheriff, who incidentally was on Taxi as Jim's old girlfriend. <laughs> this I did not know. This totally yeah. took me when I saw this. I was reading through, the, I, was, I was looking her up because I'm like, she looks really familiar. She does not look familiar. I have never seen her before in my <laughs> life. That said, I looked into her backstory and I'm like, holy crap, look at that. She was on taxi as Jim's old flame. <laughs> and so it made perfect sense for her to be here as Christopher Lloyd's or as Krug's old, fr- old flame. And of course, I, I put another note here. I can't not see Doc Brown and his performance. Oh my God. <laughs> He's just so big. <laughs> My my favorite part about Krug's performance at this point is uh, he's he's looking to his subordinate to see if he's downloaded the data about Genesis from these traders, uh, at which point he has to get in right next to his face, staring 
two inches from the screen. And he's like, got this vaudevillian eyeball move back and forth between the information and the guy, the information and the guy, the information and the guy. I'm like, oh my God, dude. Um, okay. So he blows up his girlfriend um, and he runs away with Genesis data. Cool. Cool. Uh, he seems like a real upstanding guy so far. <laughs> so we flash over to uh, yet another scene in a space dock. And this is the first time we're going to, have we seen space dock before? I don't think we've seen this space dock before, which is, which becomes the standard for star Trek for gosh, 30 years now. Yes. Um, uh, it, the idea behind it is that it's five miles tall. I did some reading about the model on this. It's actually six it's foot 16, tall model. Yeah. yeah, it's massive. But that also gives them the ability to actually use the space doors and all that stuff. So pretty cool. I, I awesome prop. I'd love to see it in person, right? Um, the scene of the Enterprise entering the space dock doors. That scene will be reused in Next Generation and um, just superimpose the D over the top of it. Um, so they, they go, so they're in space dock. They see the Excelsior class. Uh, they do a little pan across the bridge and man, does Sulu look pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so this was actually a, the, the design of the Excelsior, they open it up to a lot of the different, uh, art people involved. And this was the winner and the, the concept was what if, what if Starfleet ships were built by the Japanese? It was the idea of trying to bring in a Japanese aesthetic to a, uh, a Starfleet vessel, which I think works. I love the Excelsior oh. design. Hands down, I I would say it is probably my second favorite of all the ships because I'm a I'm a TNG guy. Give me Enterprise D any day. And it's it looks like it will take over for the Constitution class as being kind of the workhorse of the Federation because 70 years later, when Captain Picard is the captain of the D, um, there's still Excelsior ships all over the place. They're, they're still mm-hmm. so obviously it's one of those things that they, they hit a design that worked and uh, kept on going with it. Also means that nobody broke the model. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Someone has broken into Spock's quarters. <laughs> And I want to point out something here that really confused the hell out of me. We find this alarm <clears throat> because Chekhov and Scotty are talking to each other on the bridge. And for no reason whatsoever, Chekhov starts speaking Russian, which he has never really done before. <laughs> He's just always done the accent. Right. And Scotty's like, what? <laughs> like, like Scotty's supposed to understand Russian now. <laughs> I, it, it blew me away. I was just, I was like, well, why would they even put that in there? What is the point of that scene? Um, <clears throat> so Kirk takes a, a big run all the way down to Spock's quarters. Um, and he, he goes in or, well, first off, he, he stops by at the security guards who are wearing their lovely leather football helmets. <laughs> I, I love those guys. I mean, they're not as bad as the old ones with the, um, uh, they had the light thing on their head. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Not quite the Spock helmet, but pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I always like the whole thing. It looks like every time something happens, you just got security guys uh, practicing a wrestle, you know, wrestling, and they just had to, you know, jump up and run over there. <laughs> right? Oh, man. And their their guns are great, too. Oh, so much to love about these guys. Um, and they've got police tape across the door. <laughs> I love that nobody even considered a lock. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's put police tape up. Okay. So 
the crux of the scene is he goes in, he hears Spock's voice and he's like, oh man, my buddy's back. And he looks and there's a shadow across the room. He approaches the silhouette and who is it but Bones, which is super weird considering he just heard Spock's voice and the doors were torn off their hinges. <laughs> so this now, let's see, he's got to be 68 years old now and he has torn the doors off the hinges, <laughs> went in and decided to have a sit and start talking to Jim in Spock's voice. Because he has two souls. Two souls make you stronger. Oh, that's true. It's just like the song. <laughs> One, two souls to make you stronger. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> um, so was he supposed to actually be speaking with Spock's voice or like, was it just supposed to be like Jim just kind of in I his mind, he kind of heard it? Uh, yeah, I think it's a close thing. Cause I mean, it's Spock, it's Spock speaking through McCoy at this point. Jim, why didn't you leave me? Seriously, my voice is still pretty messed up. <laughs> um, uh, so we flash to the USS Grissom, uh, who incidentally was named for Gus Grissom, which I thought was kind of a neat call out. I don't know anything about this ship. This is a weird one. Oberth class. Oberth class? Yes. Now, depending on... Here's one of the things. I sometimes get canon mixed up with stuff I've read in Star Trek novels but I believe the original design of the Oberth class was that little thing, the secondary hole down at the bottom mm -hmm. was interchangeable. The Oberth class was basically just a warp platform, a warp uh, um, impulse engine platform that you could tow other stuff with. And basically the Oberth, that particular Oberth was outfitted with a full science pod. Oh, for the record, for those who don't know, the Oberth class is basically like if you took the Enterprise ripped off the disc and stuck it between the nacelles. <laughs> That's pretty much what it looks like. Um, so this thing is orbiting the Genesis planet. Now, again, I understand we, we shoot a torpedo onto a planet and it remakes, but this thing blew up in a nebula and it just made a planet in a sun. Yeah. Cause that works. <laughs> it's almost as if Spock coming back to life is not the most unbelievable thing that happens in this movie so um let's see so there was a little bit of stuff from the actual novelization of the movie one thing that they established is that uh captain esteban of the grissom was somebody who, who kind of had an uh imposter syndrome he was a guy who basically had one lucky mission and was given a captaincy even though he really didn't think he deserved it and he never really did anything without contacting starfleet command first if it wasn't written down in a book he wasn't going to do it i mean that actually tracks because later he's going to have one of my favorite lines uh yeah uh <laughs> um the the grissom's there they want to understand what's happening on the planet they're studying everything and they notice that there's signs of life. And it turns out the signs of life happen to coincide very closely with, go figure, the torpedo that had Spock's body in it. And I have, I have a question about these sensors. Why are we using 1970 circuit board font on our starship? It was one of those things that kind of just took me out of the moment. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, that and the, the 80s uh, vector tracing. <laughs> I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand technology is not really up to snuff for a lot of these screens and everything to be showing, you know, full-fledged gra full graphics and everything, but they've proven in other ways that they've got great computer graphic availability. Why aren't they using it? 
um so they're like all right we really want to figure out what this is the captain's like no 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 protocol says you can't go to the planet you can bring something back i have to agree with captain esteban on this can we just <laughs> we don't sure can we just bring it back uh no oh i'm sure it'll be fine uh no well hold up a sec we know from wrath of Khan, they have spacesuits they're horrible and they're bug ridden but they've got spacesuits <laughs> And I Eager. love that they, they basically just beg and beg and beg until the captain's like, fine, you can go to the planet. <laughs> That's what you really want. Splash cut to Kirk's house. Are they getting ready to go hit the bars? Seriously. Like everybody's all dressed to the nines. They're hanging out at Kirk's house. I mean, you know, if a group starts at Kirk's house, you're either going to the bedroom or you're going out on the town. <laughs> like there's, there's no middle ground there. <laughs> The other thing I noticed is you look at these outfits, the outfits are absolutely insane. Um, <laughs> I mean, they've, they've put the, this jewelry on, on a Horeo that looks like there's teeth on it. Uh, Kirk's in like, Kirk looks like the, the version one of Wesley Crusher's outfit from TNG. <laughs> he's all, he's got like four different color stripes and he's, and he's in a full body jumpsuit. Um, he once again has the pass through uh, belt buckle for with oh, the little yes. hole cut in yeah. the belly. Oh, the Care Bear stare is my favorite. <laughs> um, and uh, then you got Sulu. Sulu is the only one who looks like he loves his clothes because he's in. I that, do like his clothes. He's in that leather cape slash coat thing that is amazing. Sometimes he wears it as a cape, sometimes as a coat. He's going <laughs> to hold on to this for three movies, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. And poor Scotty, you can't put a man with a belly like that in a jumpsuit. <laughs> and they just do it to him over and over again. I feel so bad for him. It looks like his RV is, is parked out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> also, let's talk about Kirk's apartment. It is a great bachelor pad. Oh, yeah. It is the saddest bachelor pad I've ever seen. And it is absolutely <laughs> 70s and early 80s primo. Everything from the middle of the room fireplace, which came back in um, Strange New Worlds. Oh, yes, um, yes. And what's the part that we aren't seeing, we aren't seeing because when uh, Sarek shows up, everybody just says, oh, we'll go in the other room. What's in the other room? A round bed and a mirror on the ceiling. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I just imagine Don't. all of them coming out later with a very uncomfortable look on their face. Bones is like, trust me, don't touch anything. <laughs> so Sarah comes in and he's pissed, right? He comes in hot. You should have brought back my son. You let him die and you don't know anything about Vulcan death rights. So screw you. You're a jerk. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with Sarah on this thing because you didn't even ask what the final wishes were of the family <laughs> that, that is a good point he's like you know what let's shoot this thing in space what do you say guys that sounds awesome doesn't it slap him in a tube and get him <laughs> off my ship but you're absolutely right somebody should have picked up the phone and been like hey is this okay with you guys <laughs> sarek's like hey you know what i know the best way to do this i'm gonna jump into your brain and i'm gonna find all i'm gonna find out what he did and so what does sarek do the mind meld which is the Swiss army knife of Star Trek. <laughs> um, so he does a mind melt. And what does he find out? Lo and behold, Kirk didn't do anything with, with Spock. What Sarek is worried about is that Spock has taken his mind or his Katra, which is all of his knowledge, his, his being, 
and shoved it into Kirk's brain. I like how Sarek originally brings it up. How come you didn't do that? Do what? Do the thing. <laughs> what thing? The thing he told you? He didn't tell me. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so they watched Star Trek two, and that's when they figure out that, uh, oh yeah, Bones was the last guy to touch him. They figure out a, yeah, that was a better movie than this one. <laughs> and B, oh, that's where his brain went. You mean that point when when Kirk looks to Sarek and says, "Oh yeah, I remember when I was all like, Con, that was great, right?" <laughs> okay, um, so we we flash back to Genesis. The away team is on the planet. They search around until they find Spock's capsule, and what do they see right next to the capsule and all over it? Tiny little stingrays. Ew. They're super gross. <laughs> I, always look, I always thought they looked kind of like pasta. <laughs> and David looks at it and goes, hmm, yep, that's the microbes. Not, huh, I wonder what that could be. Maybe I should scan it. No, he walks right up and goes, oh, yeah, that's totally the microbes. That was all over the outside <laughs> of that thing. Oof, somebody should have washed their hands. And, but then he opens it and he looks inside. And I guess, thank goodness he does, yeah. Right. And his only question is, what's this? As he picks up a robe. You know this is a coffin, dude. There's no dead guy in it. And you're like, what's this robe? Seriously. We're back on the Starbase in a lounge. Kirk is sitting there talking to the commander of Starfleet. The subject of Vulcan mysticism comes up and this commander's like, you know, I don't believe in that. You don't have to believe. <laughs> but this gives the opportunity in the story because Kirk has a stick it to the man. So we have mm -hmm. to establish who the man is. And Admiral Morrow is the man in this case. Right. And he's like, hey, listen, I just can't let you do it, man. You know that it's forbidden. You can't go there. You wouldn't steal the Enterprise a third time now, would you? <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I do want to point out in the background, there's Tribbles. They have learned in the past not to bring Tribbles onto a space station. <laughs> To our listeners, I would just like to say to remember to have your triples spayed and neutered. <laughs> That's good stuff. Okay, so we, we flash over to a different bar. Uh, I have no idea where this bar is, uh, but Bones is there, so I have to assume it's somewhere Earth-ish. So this alien finishes his drink and comes over to sit down and talk to Bones. And he talks really weird, sounds a lot like Yoda, looks a lot like a lionfish. Um and I, I swear to God, I thought it was Scott Thompson from the kids in the hall. <laughs> I, I was so convinced. And the more he talked, the more I'm like, yeah, that dude's from Toronto. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, they had Bruce McCullough in Star Trek too. You would just assume they're fought. They're doing exactly. something here. Exactly. I'm like, these guys are buddies. One of them was on one of the movies. So he figured out how to get his other buddy on the other movie. No, that's not what happened at all. This was character actor, Alan Miller. Uh, he was, uh, he was in a lot of 70s and 80s TV shows, uh, mostly just guest roles. Um, you've seen him before. Uh, oh, yes. Up, I, I, right. I remember him most. I've seen him in tons of stuff from the 70s TV, but I remember him most specifically as the uh, as the police lieutenant in the Nero Wolf series with uh, mm -hmm. William Conrad. Wow. I had no idea that was him. He tells him, hey, you know, where are we going? And he tells him, no, place you name, money I name. Well, money I got. What money? Right? This is always a big problem in the Star Trek universe. We don't use money. Really? 
you don't. They go back and forth on that a lot. And and usually when they talk about payment for things, it ends up being actually a barter system. So it's not, I guess you would say it's not a fiat currency, but there is currency. So I, yes. I don't know, I, but you're right. It is one of those things that, you know, if they're on a, uh, a space station near earth, why are they talking about money? Everything's supposed <laughs> to be free. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so they're going to move him to the Federation funny farm as is told to Kirk by the guard <laughs> who is outside of quote the, or said funny farm. Um, I, I love the idea that in the future, uh, that guy that you hated in high school also exists and he works as a guard at the insane asylum and uh, his buddy who also was a football star also works there. <laughs> the, the guy, the buddy who's, who gets uh, flipped by, uh, by Sulu. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, that's the exact same actor who gets knocked out by Spock in Star Trek one. When the, uh, the nice uh, spaceship is like that guy has had a rough time. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, it's the enterprise crew again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So they go in, uh, they, Kirk goes in to talk to bones. <laughs> How many fingers am I holding up? And he does the Vulcan salute. I'm sorry. Best joke of the movie. <laughs> okay. So here, this to me is where everything changes. We start to move from action Star Trek to comedy Star Trek. Yep. And this will move throughout the rest of this movie, which will still have action and comedy until we get to the next movie, which will be primarily comedy. Okay. So I think this is, this is a really good point though, because Leonard Nimoy is one of those guys who recognizes the talents of his actors. And one of the things that was so great about the old series is that they had that tongue in cheek nature. He was the first one to try to bring that to the movies. And I think this is a great example of like, of course they've got inside jokes. Of course they know what pisses each other off. So I think he really tapped into that. And I think that's where we get the the funny track is he was the first one to really recognize that. And it struck me for some reason when I watched it this time, it struck me that that particular scene, the how many fingers I'm holding up, it's like, that's that's it. The the tone of the tone of the three movie arc changes right there. Um, so they decide they're gonna break him out. So the plan appears to be to have Sulu walk in, talk smack to a guy way bigger than him. <laughs> I thought this this escalated very quickly. <laughs> he walks in, oh, real busy today, are you? And the guy's immediately like, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> so he stands up, says one of the greatest lines of Star Trek. And what are you going to do about it, Tiny? So he, of course, beats up the giant guy. Uh, we, we find that out in a minute. We actually flash to Kirk and he's like, hey, this guy's sick. This guy's sick. Kirk doesn't even wait for the guy to see anything. He just hauls off and cold cocks him, <laughs> knocks him out. Guy's on the floor. And I'm thinking, I don't think Shatner could really do that. But whatever. No, man. I saw him do it in TJ Hooker all the time. Right? Well, actually, you might have now that I think about it. Because, <laughs> okay. So there was a fire on the set during this, this movie. And oh, that's right. When there was a fire on the set, um, William Shatner himself, who turns out is actually kind of a nice guy. He, um, he actually uh, stuck around and helped fight the fire. Uh, not only helping to save somebody, but also working on, I, I guess there was kind of a bucket brigade kind of thing. Um, and he helped to save people and helped to save the sets. 
um, when he was interviewed about it, he joked that, uh, well, you know, I had to make sure that we got through this really quick because I have another season to film on TJ Hooker. <laughs> I guess we probably could have seen him hit somebody as TJ Hooker <laughs> in his late 40s. <laughs> um, so he knocks that guy out. Then we flash out to the lobby and uh, we see Sulu just destroying big football guy <laughs> and following up with a great line. Don't call me tiny. Which reportedly he did not like the line or the scene until the premiere and it got a big laugh. And then he felt much better about it. It's funny how that happens. Right. Well, and I mean, I, I love Takei, but he's he is definitely one of those actors who uh it took him a while to come around to what people really like about him, which is he's funny as hell. <laughs> And it just, he wanted so badly to be a serious actor that I don't think he really tapped into that for a, a long time. Still has one of my favorite lines of all time from Trekkies. They're telling me that they're going to pay my airfare and pay my accommodations. And I'm thinking to myself, these people are foolish. <laughs> and, or, well, actually, before they get to the Enterprise, they get to the, uh, the transporter room and we get to another great 80s trope. Uh, they all pile onto the transporter pad and Uhura is running it. And uh, she's also got her young cadet or not cadet, but young ensign next to her. Uh, who's the smarmy eighties young guy who uh, looks to her and is like, how do you even like doing this kind of thing? There's no adventure. Isn't she a commander at this point? The only thing I can figure is that because Genesis is such a hot topic, they were happy to move her out of the way. She's like, you know what? Just send me over here for the, oh, we're totally fine with that because we want you like not to be talking to anybody about anything. Um, he's really abusive. So she's like, yeah, screw you. Get in the closet. Uh, she refers to him as Mr. Adventure, which incidentally is what he's credited as in the credits as well as his IMDb page and stuff. <laughs> And, and thankfully, Scotty automated this ship again. Right. So this ship is run by what? 600 people? Uh, 480. And today, and today only, we're going to run it with four. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Scotty. Way to go. <laughs> um, they, they find out there is not a bike lock on the Enterprise. Uh, so... <laughs> I, seriously, at some point, somebody's got to go out there and just tie a rope to the damn thing and be like, ah, Kirk didn't think of that one. <laughs> yeah, th this this just continues to confuse me. It really should be just a little bit harder. They have a pursuit vessel this time, and this pursuit vessel is badass and completely unstoppable. And we shouldn't worry at all that Scotty is the chief engineer on that show. <laughs> we see them start backing out the enterprise <laughs> so we flash over to the excelsior bridge miguel ferrar and we find out yes exactly uh well not just miguel ferrar but also james sicking lieutenant howard of hill street blues is the captain yes uh, yes and miguel ferrar is is the helm officer um so the the thing i found really funny about the captain of the Excelsior, uh, James Captain Sicking Styles. is uh, Captain Styles. Thank you. I was totally blanking. Um, 
Why is he carrying a baton? Um, in the book, it is some sort of trophy that he won wrestling it away from Klingon. And so it's something, it's like his little trophy that he carries around to, to remind everyone. It was kind of weird. And so the reason I couldn't figure it out is because it, it just, it looks like a broken tennis racket. Because like the way that they wrapped it in leather, it totally looks like a tennis racket. And I'm like, I really don't get what this is supposed to be. That makes more sense though. He he gets on the, the horn and, and calls out to Kirk and tells him, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. I was never going to anyway. Right? He's an admiral who just got told he's losing his ship. I don't, I don't think he's really that concerned about sitting in a captain's chair again. In the book, they actually spent some time with Scotty, Chekhov, and Sulu all like coming to terms with, I'm going to do this. I'm throwing away my career. So there was more thought to it than what was in the movie, which is Kirk walking up to them in the bar and sa- and them saying, <laughs> yes. how did it go? And him going, yeah, it didn't go well. We're going to steal a ship. <laughs> Uh, incidentally, uh, just for, for the record, for anybody who's interested, the book that you're talking about is, uh, by Vonda McIntyre, uh, who also wrote the adaptation for Star Trek two, uh, really good author, really good, uh, uh, interpretation of the story. So they back the ship out and they decide to take off. And so they start heading out in impulse and captain styles is like, ha ha. <laughs> Let me guess. They're going to go to warp. <laughs> but I got something in store for them. And he gets out there and they try to turn on trans warp. And what happens? The thing sounds like an old broken down jalopy. <laughs> and literally they play the sound effect of the clunk, clunk, clunk. <laughs> and I think it's at that point he realizes Scotty's on the enterprise too. I don't think this is getting fixed anytime soon. <laughs> And the, and the nice punchline of good morning, captain on the uh, computer screen. When they... <laughs> Once again, really, really great uh, start to the Star Trek comedy. <laughs> and then we fast forward to Genesis again, where they find a Vulcan child. We're bringing people back from the dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I really do like when she approaches the child and she's like, can you talk? And he's like, mm. <laughs> like, well, it's really good that Vulcans can speak Vulcan from birth. <laughs> so yeah. she calls up to the ship and she's like, hey, Captain, guess what? I found Spock. And the captain says, my favorite line. Uh, yeah. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, so as soon as he starts freaking out about this, the Klingons show up. They're in their cloaked ship. So the ship uncloaks. Christopher Lloyd says, you know, something along the lines of we've got to get you back home or something. I don't know. It, it, it's <laughs> get you back to the future. Um, he, he says that they, he wants to fire on this ship. He wants to prove a point. So take out their engines and this poor bastard fires at the Grissom and he hits the engines really hard. <laughs> so the Grissom is no more. Right. Krug turns and says, Hey, what'd you do that for? I told you just to hit the engines. Lucky shot, sir. <laughs> Lucky shot, sir. I don't know. Shit happens. <laughs> so first off, that is not how you address your captain uh, in any military. <laughs> I don't think that's how you respond to it. I just killed a bunch of civilians for no reason. Uh, second, uh, if you're a Klingon, you definitely don't do that. 
So Krug kills him and uses Which, a, I can't help every time I see that scene where Krug oh. pulls out the gun and shoots my good dude the callback to the Simpsons. Boy, it ain't be in that union. <laughs> <laughs> so he shoots him. I do love they've done so many really good special effects in this movie franchise so far. And he shoots him, and all we get is this is clearly a green screen showing <laughs> fire. Not fire in a particular shape, not a stylized thing. Nope just a fire and that is a klingon disruptor <laughs> so we get back to Savick talking to to david and she's like you know it's all bringing somebody back from the dead thing this is super weird i can't think of anything you would have done with the genesis device to make this happen he's like well well just- actually you see <laughs> to finish my thesis uh, <laughs> and and the grant money was going to run out at some point. So um, I didn't think this thing was actually going to be used. I was, I was planning on this to basically be my retirement plan to keep, just keep on building this thing. I had no plan for somebody actually to let this thing off and explode it. So, well, okay. Yeah. But at least you didn't use proto matter in it, right? Not, not, not a lot. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, we got a problem there. <laughs> All right. So now. You are officially a bad guy. Uh, let's see. They go back to the Klingon bridge and there's a guy who says, or I think this one's Mots, Martz, Maltz, Maltz, uh, who is of course played by John Larcutt. <laughs> and he looks at, at uh, Krug played by Christopher Lloyd and is like, I think I've found something. And <laughs> what does he get? A gun drawn on him. <laughs> Krug's pissed off. He just lost a, a Federation ship, killed a bunch of civilians. He's so he lets he do. He points a gun at him and says, Say the wrong thing, Torque. That's right. Yeah, you're right. And he's like, Well, you know, you can have some prisoners if you want. I haven't killed anything all day. What do you got? <laughs> Everything is fine. Don't, don't worry about it. Everything's okay. Oh, and, and David Marcus also has to tell Savic that the planet we're on is about to go through puberty. Which of course <laughs> she realizes means so is Spock. And she's like, hey, just so you know, this kid's about to go nuts. And it's because he's going to go through the pond far, which I find interesting because that is hardcore. You don't talk about the pond far. She's kind of vulgar. <laughs> she's been around humans too long. <laughs> so I got to admit, you know, when that scene does come up and he's like 13 and he's going through the pond far and she's looking at him and she's like, I have an idea. When I was a kid, I didn't get this scene. I did not understand what she was about to do. And <laughs> as an adult, I'm like, ew. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the only thing. Uh, the, that's one of those, uh, you know, that that big mystery thing. So do you do you, do you think they they really did that? Do you you know? Oh, you, totally. Yeah. So yeah, she uh, she helps him out and helps him get through the pond far. That is a nice euphemism there, right? Helps which him is. Out why the next time we see him he is sleeping <laughs> well that that next scene too i kind of wondered because they they pan away from like a, a smoldering uh, um you know uh, like mini volcano rock thing and i'm like okay was that supposed to be symbolic of the cigarette okay i swear to god i'm not even joking i had the exact same thought when i was watching that scene <laughs> i saw the smoke coming off of the rock and i was like that looks like cigarette smoke did they do that on purpose 
Oh. <laughs> so now, we're, so we do have um, our, our Klingons get down to the planet for a minute and Christopher Lloyd Krug needs to get back up to the ship. So he, he has the scene we were talking about before where apparently he kept looking up into the sky and going, bring me up. And they kept having to stop and reshoot the scene because Chris, we really need you to just talk into the box that's in your hand. Hack lights a microphone, talk into the box. Have you ever seen a walkie talkie? (laughs) Um, So the reason that he beamed back up is because the enterprise has shown up and has fired on his ship. Um, the, or no, excuse me. The enterprise showed up. They haven't fired yet. Uh, the enterprise is still really confused by the fact that there is cloaking. Now I'm just going to say this. I was looking through that view screen the same time Kirk and Sulu were looking through that view screen. And I can tell you, I saw the ship. It was right there. (laughs) There was a big old lumpy spot in space. And it was clearly a bird of prey. I I think, I, I think I have a copy of uh, Sun Tzu's art of war. I think I'm going to just write in the notes that if a distortion is coming closer to you get away from it like just 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 kind of a general idea if you just... right like if that happened to me in real life if i'm standing there and all of a sudden i see some kind of shimmery shadow thing coming towards me i'm gonna run away <laughs> um so the klingons go red uh they they uh decloak and there's a a little gunfight that ensues um Krug gets really pissed off because his uh oh, what are they called? The Klingon dogs. Uh uh Targ. Targ. His Targ dies. Um, all of the panels in the on the Enterprise are still full of firecrackers. As soon as there's one hit, <laughs> he's <laughs> building everything on sparkler technology. Oh, dude, this one was even worse. Scotty was at a terminal <laughs> and it went off and it was like pop, 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 right next to him. And I'm like, okay, that one just looks like firecrackers. <laughs> When uh, crew can't figure out, you know, they all gun me 10 to one, you know, why don't they finish us? And they tell him, it's like, Hey, the commander wants to uh, talk about terms of surrender. Put them on screen. (laughs) I guess that's fine. Yeah. That was about as close as he came to being Reverend Jim. And that, that (laughs) so we've changed our view down to the surface. Uh, They're talking to the hostages. Krug is talking to his guy. He tells him to kill one. I don't care which. And Kirk's like, oh, no, don't do that. And this is the first time, as you mentioned, this is the first time we're going to see the uh, Detog de- uh, dagger. Yes. So cool. The only problem I have with this, he pulls out that cool ass dagger. Incidentally, uh, side note, the the uh, hero prop that he holds up right at the beginning, that is a an aluminum knife, fully sharpened, fully polished, beautiful piece uh every time they're rolling around they have a rubber one (laughs) um but he he picks up the knife he walks behind them and he pushes the button and those little side blades click out oh my god that's so cool i look now it's super cheesy it looks old and and outdated and everything but i i freaking love that knife it's so it's so neat uh the the notes on what they were supposed to make was uh the it was like the nastiest knife you've ever seen or something like that and that's what they came up with uh and it's so it's just so cool as a star trek geek i do have a problem with one particular thing on this and maybe you were going to say the same thing this is a klingon why is he going behind them to stab them in the back absolutely that pissed me off so much because i'm like 
these are people that really get off on the, like, I'm going to watch the life come out of your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing he's going to do is be like, I'm going to hide it from you. I don't want to look at you. Okay. So I have a theory on Krug and his entire crew are dishonored Klingons because he goes into Federation space. He doesn't call anybody. He just says, I'm going to Federation space. That's not really something you do without calling the empire first. We have a treaty in place. So my theory is they're trying to win some sort of honor back. Krug is on this mission to try to win his honor back. And that's why he's so obsessed with finding this great weapon. Yeah, I like that. I, and so maybe because they were dishonored, that's why they, they didn't behave normally. Yeah, they, they were dicks to begin with. Well, that could be. Um, so he proceeds to uh, go behind them and he holds a knife to David. David fights back and they roll around and he's dispatched immediately. <laughs> David is not a fighter. So Kirk, he knows that his son has just been killed and he is absolutely distraught that this person he just met who is his everything, is now dead. William Shatner will say that this is the best thing he ever did on film. He's not entirely wrong either. Uh, he was actually pretty good in this scene. Um, and Nimoy basically told him, it's, it's all you. you, however you want to do it. It's all you. Just do it. Shatner backs up and, David, no, my son. And he falls down to the floor and misses the chair. Uh, one piece of lore I found was that he um, backed up with the intent to slam down hard in the chair as per Nimoy's instruction of just do whatever feels right. He thought that would be right. And he missed the chair completely, but the take just worked so well that they just kept it. And I would say it, it does. It's one of those things that it works because it doesn't look like it was staged. Yeah. Okay. So they decide that there's really only one way out of this, which is get as many Klingons over here as possible. And enter the self-destruct sequence. He says, yeah, I'll surrender. That's cool. I just need a few minutes. And Krug is like, I'm feeling generous. Take two minutes. <laughs> uh, so they proceed to, to have Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov sit down and enter the self-destruct sequence, which is the most ridiculous sequence I have ever seen. I do appreciate the fact that they use the exact same code as they did on let this be your final battle battleground i don't care they should have learned to make it better <laughs> what's your code oh i'm 1a how about you i'm 1b how about you oh i'm 2b seriously <laughs> and then after that's done we're going to enter the final code zero 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 <laughs> uh <laughs> In all fairness, maybe the ship's still in training mode. You know how like you, you go to training class at work and they give you the same code for everybody and it's like one, two, three, four, five. Maybe that's what it is. We're going to blow up the ship with a zero, zero, zero code. So still a great ruse though, right? This is, this is one of the, the, the great um, misdirections. That There's hey, no one aboard. Right. He, Only the computer is talking. And of course, they assume that the ship is still being run by a full complement. So they're expecting there to be just tons of people. And the look on all the Klingons' faces, which first off, when they arrive on the transporter pad, this is a biker gang. This is not a bunch of Klingons. <laughs> and then they get to the bridge. And my favorite thing about this is the Klingons clearly have not actually learned English. They just use the, the universal translators because they get on there and they're like, five, four, three, two, what does that mean? That's a strange thing for the computer to be saying. 
And Krug's like, no, 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 I know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Enterprise blows up. This was supposed to be a huge secret, uh, but it turns out that the Paramount execs thought that it was such a cool sequence and they spent enough money on it that they wanted to put it in the trailer. So everybody knew it was coming. Yeah, he. here's the thing also. It seems to me that if you're going to blow up a starship, you can dump all the matter and antimatter out of the bottles into each other and let it blow up, right? No, it's very obvious that the Enterprise had charges laced throughout the entire ship. <laughs> so this is something I've noticed on every self-destruct that's ever happened on Star Trek is exactly that. They clearly have been lined with explosives, yes. which seems really like a bad idea when you're traveling <laughs> through space at, you know, faster than light speeds, like one pebble and you are going to just liquefy. Also, if the Klingons had been smart and just gotten into the engineering section, they would have been fine because the only thing that blew up was the front of the, the disc. Everything else was completely fine. Yeah. So, you know, that's on them. <laughs> <laughs> It just seemed like a lot of thought was put into how are we going to blow up the ship when we have to. Right. <laughs> Back to the planet. I got bones. What have I done? They're stuck. So it looks like maybe he's getting angry again. Spock is. He looks like he's getting super strong again because he's throwing stuff around, throwing people around. So all I can figure is that it's time for some more pond far time. Uh, they zoom in on his face and he goes full on American werewolf in London. I love this scene. Um, it's so stupid, but I, I love it. The it, they do the makeup where, you know, you got a guy who's got the uh, the animatronic stuff stretching fake skin, and what's great about it is they actually did a pretty reasonable job of having that be Leonard Nimoy's face. I thought so as well. Yes, especially for the technology of the time, it was really actually pretty good. I, I really also like the uh, the shot scene that hammer at home that this is really bizarre. Even the Klingon has to be a little weirded out by it. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have to establish that that uh, Christopher Lloyd's character is such a dick that first he has to beam down specifically to meet Kirk face to face. When they beam everybody back, he doesn't beam back Spock. And Kirk says, well, beam him back too. No, why? Because you wish it. It's just basically, it's like, yeah, I'm petty also. Right <laughs> now, the fight scene that they have on the on the exploding oh, planet, yeah, it's bad. It's bad, but at the same time, I was really glad to see that all those fake styrofoam rocks from the old series <laughs> got work again. I thought that was awesome. I, I, <laughs> those that, poor bastards. You know, their union really got screwed, but they got he, better. <laughs> yeah, I I was really glad to see. It. I was like, ah, that it's nice to see oh. him getting work. You know. I kept waiting for it. <laughs> Why didn't um, they do that? It seemed perfect. It's, it was the worst fight. Oh my God. I love the ending. I am sick <laughs> of you. Uh, uh, I'm sick of you. And he pushes him and we get some really just cutting edge special effects. As, <laughs> uh as Christopher Lloyd rides around on the floor going, uh, <laughs> and then he, he falls into the lava and I, I, he falls straight down, but somehow manages to land in the lava, like 400 feet away. I can't, I can't help but think that like three years later when Leonard Nimoy sees Die Hard and sees the, uh, <laughs> sees the ending with, uh, 
with what's his name falling from the building going that that's that's what, I was that's what i wanted so kirk suddenly turns out he speaks klingon as he picks up a communicator and talks to to mats and says hey it's time to come back because he says the exact same words that he heard krug say bolts Kirk has always struck me as a, a linguistic genius who can pick <laughs> up a phrase just by hearing it once. Especially mispronounced by Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> so uh, Matt's beams them up and, you know, he's, he's going to be in some serious trouble when he gets home. <laughs> um, I, I do find it interesting, though, that um, watching this movie and then the next movie, Nobody makes any mention whatsoever what actually happens to Matt's. Yeah, I, I always thought that was a uh, that's a ripe uh, um, opportunity for a, a whole series right there. With right. Paramount Plus just putting out things like, you know, Malta's time on Vulcan seems like a great fish out of water comedy right there. Right, exactly. You know, you pair him up with, uh, you know, the Vulcan security forces or no, <laughs> pair, you pair him up with one of the, the hooked hat uh vulcan uh <laughs> <Yes>. aircraft mechanics <laughs> and you know he's gonna talk about you know wow we could blow up one of these ships and that guy's like whoa 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 you know how much work that's gonna give me it's it writes itself right i do find it funny that they did tap into everybody's got to figure out how to fly this thing because nothing's in english that's some good stuff um but you know uh scotty's sitting there being like well i think it's this <laughs> if i were just trying to turn on the fan or the ac in a car yeah i might just start hitting buttons and see what happens right but when i need to find the turbo Ooh. the anti-matter inducer right uh you know what maybe i might pull out a manual <laughs> after this wonderful little interaction the this federation crew flies a romulan style klingon ship to vulcan to bring back spock from the dead <laughs> from, from a planet that they're not that nobody's supposed to be talking about or visiting or doing anything with. <laughs> which you can't prove actually existed because it just blew up sorry which i by the way federation flies romulan style klingon ship to vulcan to bring back spock from the dead that should have been the tagline <laughs> like that's some some exec at paramount was like all right here's how this goes all right so here's my big question so they arrive on vulcan they take bones in and they take spock's body or spock's new young body uh i guess he's old now um they take him into this chamber to perform the ritual what the hell is this chamber normally for because they're supposed to bring a dead body and somebody's katra here, but they're not here to resurrect somebody. So what are they normally doing here? Before, before you die, they, they take out your katra and they put so it this in room is, bef is for before you die. That's what I'm guessing is, is they take it out and they put it in one of the, uh, one of their little, like, uh, round, uh, glowy things. But, so Sarek was pissed off that they didn't bring back the corpse. Yes, this is this is kind of an inconsistency thing. So they 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 come back. Uh, one thing to mention is that um, Dane Judith Anderson. Yes, Dane Ju Dane Judith Anderson is playing Tapel. Tapel, thank you. Uh, so Dame Judith Anderson 
is uh, an older movie actress. She's been in tons of stuff. Uh, she had an amazing career. Unfortunately, this was her last movie performance. Uh, she did a voiceover after this, but this was her last on-screen performance. And it was shot on the same soundstage that she shot Ten Commandments in. Which is also very interesting because when she asked who brings the Katra, uh, Bones announced himself as, uh, uh, was it Montgomery Bones? Uh, McCoy, Leonard H. Or, thank you. I'm, Son of Tate. It's getting late. My brain is totally mush. <laughs> I just forgot Leonard McCoy. Oh my God. <laughs> So he says, my name is Leonard McCoy, son of David. There's a lot of people out there that believe this is actually uh, just kind of a, a quick little nod to the Ten Commandment, Ten Commandments, uh, especially because of the fact that she was there and that it was on the same soundstage, which I thought was kind of a, uh, you know what? I could totally see them putting a wink like that in there. Just a little one. It's kind of nice. It's one of those things, even if it didn't happen, I like to think that it did. Right. Um, the, the Vulcans, like... As the the transference ceremony is going on, they they keep panning around the room, and all the Vulcans are in silent contemplation with their eyes closed and their hands clasped. And, and some humans, really nice bathrobes too. I have. To oh say. yeah, oh yeah, with like real thick stitching. Oh, the good stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, very much. Uh, you know, Star Trek Four. Spock is wandering around San Francisco, kind of bathrobe, <laughs> and uh, all the humans are standing around like, cool are we supposed to kneel now or <laughs> how does this work? Um, and then we go through the, uh, the recognition scene. Yeah. From what I read, Harv Bennett wrote this script. He wrote down the words, your name is Jim. And he worked backward from that point. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, first off, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. I'm sorry. That's just a dumb line. That's so lazy. <laughs> We've realized that the search for Spock was actually the jump of the shark. Um, totally. It's well, just like, mm, we still have five to go to. <laughs> no, five is just bad. <laughs> Listen, there's lots of sharks. <laughs> there's sharks everywhere. We're Gotta talking jump space sharks. Um, I got one question. How pissed off you think Spock's going to be when he finds out that Jim just blew up the ship that Spock died saving? <laughs> hey, I know we just brought you back and all. Um, you want to? What do you want to do next? Out of danger? Back to the well, Enterprise. That, that's a long story. Yeah. About that. <laughs> hey, you didn't like any of that stuff in your quarter, right? <laughs> your name is Jim. I mean, it's James, but you know, you can call me Jim. That's fine. Uh, yeah, no, this is, listen, I, I get what they were trying to come up with. I, I get what they were trying to say is, you know, the spirit is what's important and everything. Uh, but yeah, the whole backup copy thing and just stick a backup into a clone. Quite honestly, this is an interesting storyline that could actually do something with. Um, but they didn't in this movie this is terrible it, it's such a strange cross-section because like i said this movie is going to affect star trek movies and television for years to come from its design aspect and it's sad that the story just 
isn't quite there. But again, you're kind of, when you reach in that bag and saying, we're going to bring somebody back from the dead, yeah. man, you're really going to have to hit that as a home run. Otherwise it's going to, it's going to be Star Trek three. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, listen, a lot of things in life are going to be Star Trek three. Hopefully you'll survive all those things because eventually you'll get a Star Trek four. Anyway, thank you everyone for, for listening. This is uh, Star Trek three, the search for Spock. Um, it, it, it's, I guess the final word from me is it, it was a movie. Um, it got some stuff done. Bad Star Trek is better than no Star Trek at all. Amen. <laughs> all right. Next episode, we will be talking about Star Trek four. The voyage home. Voyage home. Or as most people know it, you know, the one with the whales in it. Um, on that note, uh, I'd like to give a big thank you to Five Year Mission for the use of their use of their music. Uh, the thank song you. Beam me up. Uh, it is really fantastic. Check out their website at fiveyearmission.net for plenty of other songs and plenty of other albums. They've got some great stuff. Started eight three two thousand sixteen.